Voice of Choice podcast ad paid for by Californians for School Choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Trapped by their zip codes, the poorest children are denied access to a quality education that will enable them to break the cycle of poverty and take their rightful place in our society. This is real systemic racism. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, president of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents, not zip codes, will decide where their children go to school. Parents wanting to leave the disastrous public school system will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 per child to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to californiaschoolchoice.org. That's californiaschoolchoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Welcome to the California School Choice Radio Network, hosted by Mike Alexander, the lead proponent of the Educational Freedom Act Initiative and chairman of Californians for School Choice. Join us to learn how to put parents, not politicians, in charge of our children's education. And now, here's your host, Mike Alexander, the voice of choice in California education. Hello, everybody. We're back with you here for episode six of The Voice of Choice coming to you from the KRLA State Studios right here in Glendale, California at AM 870, The Answer. This Sunday here, we're going to have a couple of great interviews uh, with uh, two outstanding gentlemen from the American Federation of Children. I'll introduce them in more detail later on. Plus, of course, our ever-popular feature of the week, the Government Grifter of the Week, our indefatigable reporter here, one Tierra will regale you with yet another outrageous story, and you'll be able to answer the question, where the hell does all the money go in our system? Well, one Tierra will be here to tell you. You know, this is another great week here for School Choice, and uh, this is School Choice Week itself. And we've been busy speaking and attending events all around the state. And I can tell you now that uh, the enthusiasm and involvement in school choice has never been higher in our state than it is right now. So I want to encourage all of you to follow this link and go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org, sign up and download our petition, ask the one be mailed to you, get your signature on it, get it into us right away. Our deadline is April 11th, and we're going to need a million signatures. We've got a heck of a good start, thanks to those of you on this broadcast, but now you need to double your efforts. So if you've been holding back, now's the time to move forward so that we can get this thing going. You know, um, in, in Florida here in the last election, one of the major reasons why Governor Ron DeSantis won was because of the support of basically black mothers who were supporting Ron's, uh, Governor DeSantis's uh, approach on school choice. And now we've uh, just a recent article here that black student enrollment is up in Florida schools of choice, and so is academic achievement. So we're finding that uh, 
uh, all students, whether they're black, pink, purple, brown, or whatever in between, uh, when students get access to quality education, they do better. Who knew? Uh, and, and of course, the education, so-called education establishment, is anxious that you not know all of this because they would prefer to suggest that somehow poor educational results are the result of racism or that somehow maybe black or Latino students are less capable of academic achievement. This, of course, is racist nonsense and has no place in our system. The good news is that school is up. Uh, school choice is up. And during this week, too, which is school choice week, of course, we found that 52% of parents are considering choosing a new or different school for one of their parents. So par for one of their children, rather. So we find that parents are more interested than ever in uh, a choice in education. And why wouldn't they? How many different models of cars do we have? And cars are far less important than children, and yet you only have one size fits all when it comes to, uh, to schools. You either go to the government school or you write your own check for a private school. We want to make that possible for, uh, for everybody. And as we, uh, we, we now know that, uh, that the biggest education innovation of all is school choice. And we're starting to see big changes here as parents fight back for control of their schools, control of their children, and control of the future of their children and therefore of the United States. And leading it all right here in California is a CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org and our proprietary, I won't say our proprietary, but our signature event, which is the Educational Freedom Act Initiative, which, as you know, has four key features. Number one, of course, is that it will create an education savings account for any uh, K-12 child in California on the request of the parent or guardian. Number two, that child will annually be credited in that education savings account. With that child's share, basic education funding in California, that will start at $14,000. Number three, the parents, not the school board or the zip code or the union rep, um, will be able to direct that money to a, a participating accredited private school or private religious school. And number four, keep any money left over for uh, uh, college, vocational training, or other qualified educational expense. And it applies 100% to homeschoolers. This is so popular. I'm speaking all over the state, and the reception for this program is incredible. Now, uh, I'm going to take a break here, and we'll be back in just a few moments with our first guest. This is Mike Alexander, president of California's for School Choice, and the moderator here for the Voice of Choice. Back in just a moment. California schools rank 48th nationally, even though we spend $20,000 per year per student, that's $500,000 per classroom. This system is nothing but a fraud, a hustle, and a con. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. 
Hello, this is Mike Alexander, Chairman of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents will decide where their children go to school. Each child will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. That's CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Hello, Mike Alexander back with you for the first segment here in episode six of the voice of choice, the, uh, uh, weekly podcast here of Californians for school choice and the California school choice foundation. We're very lucky to have with us this afternoon, two young guys from the American Federation of Children based, I believe in Florida. And, uh, this is school choice week. These two guys and the entire organization are working constantly uh, to improve educational outcomes for all students. But I would have to say probably an emphasis on, uh, on black and minority children and or poor children who are stuck and don't have, uh, have these uh, opportunities. You guys work in that area. Uh, Walter Blanks, uh, if you just raise your hand there, Walter, there we are, uh, is the press secretary for the American Federation of, of Children and uh, also a private school choice program beneficiary. I look forward to hearing uh, uh, a lot more about that. Then the second gentleman that we have is Nathaniel Kadeen. Is the accent on the second syllable or the first one? All right. Yeah. How do you, is it Kadeen or Kadeen? Uh, Got it. That, so Got that it. was very well done. All right. Yeah. So he's a communications associate with the American Federation of Children. And he was also a previously a member of the 2020 Future Leaders Fellowship Cohort. That's a mouthful, but he's one of those guys. So welcome, uh, gentlemen. Why don't we lead off here uh, with Walter? Give us a little bit idea of your background and what it is that you guys are doing back there. Uh, for, at the American Federation uh, of Children and how it relates uh, to School Choice Week, which is this week. Yeah, of course. Well, first off, uh, thank you so much for having us. Um, this is a huge, huge, massive week across the country. Um, but a brief overview of what uh, AFC, American Federation for Children, um, does is uh, we seek to empower families, especially uh, lower-income families with the freedom to choose the best K through 12 education for uh, their children. And so at the end of the day, um, that's what school choice is. That's what we believe school choice is. And when you wrap that in a bowl and then you add on National School Choice Week, um, it's just a celebration and a culmination of all of those things, right? And so you have governors who are signing uh, National School Choice Week proclamations, legislators who are excited. You have small kids um, at the Capitol across the country and uh, across the country wearing these bright yellow scarves and like just celebrating their educational freedom and the opportunities that have been afforded to them through their education. 
Excellent. Excellent. Now, uh, you, uh, I, I think you've been uh, also, I'm looking at, at your bio here. You two were part of uh, the leadership cohort at uh, one time. Is that right? So how did you get involved, uh, Walter, uh, with the AFC? Yeah, so it started um, maybe about four or five years ago. Um, I started sharing my story and my experiences in Ohio uh, whenever the program was threatened or whenever um, the program was getting ready to be expanded and they needed students to, to speak to, the, um, to the, the power and the impact that the program had. And so I just started sharing my story, sharing my experiences. Um, sometimes it was like a back room with like three parents and one legislator. Um, and then it just it just began to grow, it began to grow and grow and grow. And so um, AFC reached out to me while I was in college to come and do an event, which I thought it was um, it was it was a scam, right? Like what organization just wants me to come and, and share my story and my experiences? But after some research, uh, it turned all turned out to be true. Thank goodness. Um, and my story jumped to the national stage uh, with the help of, of AFC. And so I realized that I had a very unique perspective in this movement. School choice wasn't something that I just believed in. It was something that I lived and experienced and, um, and, and living a better life because of it. And so now uh, I have the honor, along with Nathan, to, to fight for the next generation of, of students who are uh, positively uh, being impacted from school choice legislation. Very interesting. Now, Nathaniel, uh, uh, tell us about your your background here. You grew up. Uh, uh, what well, it looks like you went to Loyola University in Maryland. Is that right? That's right. I attended Loyola uh, for college, um, but I yeah. grew up in Central Florida um, as a beneficiary of the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program mm -hmm. for eleven years. Yeah. Um, and I got involved with AFC. Really, the credit belonged to my mother, um, who found the application for our Future Leaders Fellowship Program, which is a program that AFC conducts for the beneficiaries of school choice across the country. Um, so once I got plugged in with the fellowship, I, uh, I was able to study a lot more about school choice and really understand uh, the arguments uh, why it's so important for families to have options. Um, and, and I just sort of fell in love with the issue. Um, I, I've always been very interested in kind of root issues that affect, you know, all aspects of life. And I realized very quickly that not only is school choice the right thing to do for families and students in the United States, it also education lies at the root of every other political, social and economic issue. So it really checked all the boxes for me. And then the rest is history. Excellent. Well, now, uh, where did you go to school, Walter? You went, to, uh, you grew up in Ohio. Is that right? Yes, yes, that's correct. I went to a college called Mount Vernon Nazarene University, which was a little about an hour north of oh. Columbus, Ohio. Oh, yeah. Nazarenes run a ton of those Bible schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. They yeah, do. They're, they're a serious group of, of, of people. The Nazarene Church is very, uh, very active, of course, all around the United States, and, and especially here in California, you know. So um, yeah, you started working all this. Now, you guys are out in, uh, in, in, in the neighborhoods. I, a couple of questions that I get all the time, and I answer them to the best of my ability, 
but nobody knows everything that's going on with school choice. Back there in Florida and in the other states in which you guys have been working, what does school choice mean back there? Out here under our Educational Freedom Act initiative that we're pushing right now, it's a pure program. We're going to give each and every child his share of basic California education funding, which starts at about 14000 per kid. That's not all they spend. We spend over twenty a year per kid in California. But we'll start them off with the 14000 They can direct that to any accredited religious or private school. It's a pure system. In other states, my sense is that that is not how school choice works. That school choice usually offers access to a charter school or some limited choice among existing uh, government schools. Could you talk to us a, a little bit about that, guys, whichever one of you wants to go first? Sure. So you're absolutely correct. Um, school choice looks a lot different in whatever state you're in in the United States. Um, and there's a lot of different types of a lot of different types of school choice. So, for instance, in Florida, where I grew up, um, the primary form of school choice comes through a tax credit scholarship, which is used to pay tuition at an accredited private school. Um, in other states like Arizona or more recently in West Virginia, you have education savings accounts programs, which have become incredibly popular for the, the amount of flexibility that they provide to parents and students. Education savings accounts take a portion of funds and deposit them in an online account that allows families to use those funds for a variety of pre-approved educational expenditures. So that could be tuition, or it could be tutoring, or it could be textbooks, or Wi-Fi hotspots, or laptops. Um, and still in other states, um, there are access to public charter schools, which we consider to be school choice, or there are even a, a more limited form of school choice would be open enrollment uh, in public school uh, admissions. So there really is a, a large variety. And um, it varies drastically by state to state. Um, I, I think personally, I think it would be a lot more simple if uh, every state adopted what you're trying to do there in California, which is a more universal and easy to understand model. But um, that's just not the political reality so, thus far. And uh, the result is that we see a lot of variety. Yes. Excellent. Uh, 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 Walter, you say you were the beneficiary of a school choice program. I take it that was back in uh, Ohio. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, what that's did, correct. What, what did your school choice program look like back there? Yeah, so the, the program actually Nathan left it out, which I was a little hurt about. Um, <laughs> in Ohio, in Ohio um, the, it's, it's a voucher program. That's, that's utilized uh, similar yeah. to uh, Wisconsin as well. Um, and so it was, the requirements have expanded quite a bit since, since I've benefited from it. But uh, the reason that I was eligible was because the public school that I was attending, um, public school that I was zoned to, um, had been failing for three plus years, you know, on the school's uh, report card. And uh, I, was, I was bullied and it was just an overall just terrible experience. And so um, that's how I got a hold of, of school choice. And I often say that school choice literally saved my life. Yeah. And, um, and similar to, to what Nathan said, it looks a lot different across the country. And I mean, even starting out with 14,000 per, you know, per student, 
that's that's a pretty good a pretty good start. I mean, even in Ohio, the, vou- the voucher that, covers seven to eight thousand. That's um, right. And so, so that's that's an incredible opportunity for for the the students of California to to go and actually vote with their feet and have that mobility and be right. in environments that best fit best fit their needs. Now, you guys deal with opposition all the time back there. You hear all the whining, all the hand wringing, all the lying and the hustling and the cons and so forth. I'm speaking, of course, uh, about uh, uh, teacher unions and the uh, National So-Called Education Association and other special pleaders. Um, uh how are those arguments? I know you guys don't buy them. Uh, uh, how about, uh, especially in your case, uh, Walter, uh, what do your parents think about those uh, arguments? What do they think about the role of school choice in helping them to rear and educate you? Yeah, well, well, my parents, when it came to raising me in my own educational journey, they didn't ask anyone else what they thought. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it, it didn't matter to them. The only thing that they were concerned with was why is Walter coming home and he can't do math and he can't right. read, even read his homework. And so um, some of the, the, the crazy things that, that we hear, and especially coming out of the pandemic, the, the, the teachers unions really overplayed their hand in the special interests, uh, holding kids hostage, uh, essentially, uh, over the past couple of years. And parents are fed right. up. Parents are fed up, parents are frustrated, and they're taking ownership over their children's education. So the pandemic really exposed what was not only what was being taught in the schools, but how it was being taught and what children were were really learning. And parents for the first time was like, well, wait a minute, like we do not like this. We don't agree with this. And so we saw micropods uh, explode. Uh, during the pandemic, and uh, we saw a public school decline across across the country, homeschooling enrollment increased. And so when it came down to it, I mean, it seems like a lot of parents are are following the footsteps of, of my parents many years ago, right? Yeah. They, they don't care what the system is telling them to do. They don't care what seems to be the norm. They said, I am going to take control of my child's education. And, and if anyone tries to stop me, well, good luck. Right. Now, just out of curiosity, as you know, this bill, uh, this initiative, as we call it here in California, is completely nonpartisan. Uh, uh, But it is obvious that in California, uh, most of school age parents are, are Democrats. Now, we're we're finding incredible reception across racial lines, economic lines. Religious lines, you name it. Everybody has the same concerns, and it, and this this transcends uh, a party. Uh, what was the uh, uh, the attitude of your your parents? Were they particularly uh, partisan? Did they vote Democrat or Republican or kind of neutral? Uh, how, if at all, uh, uh, Walter, did politics shape your parents' attitude about school choice issues? Uh, it didn't. It didn't shape their their perspective at all. Yeah. At the end of the day, they just they wanted me to be able to read and write on grade Thank level. You. And, and anyone right. who anyone who supported that and wanted that uh, at the legislative level, those were the people that they were. My parents were supporting. 
Exactly. And we, we, we saw this, you know, really fully demonstrated in the, uh, in my preliminary, uh, introduction to our program today. I talked of course about, uh, the, the role of black mothers who would be mostly Democrats, uh, down there in, um, in, uh, in Florida in electing, uh, uh, DeSantis as governor, you know, they found a governor DeSantis, someone who was willing to act uh, on their need for school choice for, for their children. Lo and behold, it resulted in, in, uh, in votes for Republican governor. So, you know, I encourage all, uh, all, uh, candidates, regardless of their party to run on this important issue, because this is what parents want to hear about. And I'm all over the state here in California, which, as you know, is a very blue state. And I, I don't hear any pushback from anybody of any race. All I hear, of course, is the, the typical screed from people who uh, uh, do not want to see the government uh, monopoly on schooling broken. They want to you know, keep keep all of us, uh, including all children, down um, uh, on the farm listening to the government feed. And people just don't want it. What the, the system can't stand is the idea that parents would have access to their own money to take care of educating their own children. Uh, uh, Nathaniel, tell me a little bit about your family background. Uh, now you, uh, you grew up in Florida, even though you went to school in, uh, uh, Maryland, uh, up there. How about your family, uh, working, uh, background, uh, professionals, what? Uh, neither of my parents graduated college. My father uh, attended for a short time before, uh, for, for dropping out. Um, and they were both working backgrounds, um, you know, Floridians that moved down from up north. And uh, like Walter's parents, politics really didn't play into their decision to right. send me to a private school. Um, it, it, for, for me, it was important that I had a values education as much as an academic education. So yeah. it was really important to my parents that I attend a Christian school so that I had a strong Christian foundation yeah. um, and not so much about you know, politics or any of that matter. Um, I, I would like to address what you said slightly before about some of the arguments that we encounter. Mm -hmm. um, and of, of course, you know, it always ends up being related back to the money and who has control of the money. Is it the system or is it the families and the students who that money belongs to? Right. And inevitably, of course, there's going to be people who benefit from the status quo that are going to fight against what we're trying to do here. And unfortunately, they have been very successful for decades pushing the same myths and the same, uh, the same uh, fallacies against school choice. Right. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, and I think Walter and I's story is really indicative of that, is you have to ask, does the money belong to the system? Does it belong to certain school buildings? Or does it belong to the students that are inside of those buildings? We believe very strongly that education dollars are meant to educate students. And we were one of the lucky ones who were able to use a portion of that money to access a better education. But millions of students around the country are still waiting for that opportunity. Oh, uh, that that's right. And these people own that money, not you and I. 
Boy, I tell you, let me, let me talk to you guys a little bit about how education uh, dollars work in California. In California, back in the 1980s, we passed this constitutional amendment called Proposition 98. And basically, it earmarks 40% of California's general revenues for this enterprise they're pleased to call education. And right now, that that amount under the governor's new budget is around $15,000 per year. But that's not all they spend. They spend another $5,000 to $6,000 per year. Right now, the average per pupil spending in California from all sources is over $20,000 a year per year per student, right? Now, if, if you take that, uh, and yet our schools are 48th in the nation. I don't know whether our schools are better or worse than Maryland, but they're not much great, better if they are, and they can't possibly be much worse. Uh, so uh, we're, we're at 48. Um, in California, because of the way that the revenues are structured, that is 40% of general tax revenues, what that means is that at a minimum, anybody who pays uh, taxes in California, and they're high, right? We have a, a high income tax that can run up to 13% or more. Yeah, you have, uh, if you're paying income tax, that means that 40% of everything that you pay to the government will go for K-12 from the time you're three years old and you buy your first pair of Mickey Mouse ears to the time that you're 83 years old and you're paying for your coffin and there's sales tax due on that, sales tax due on the flowers. You're going to be paying for K-12. One of the first things we, we, we have to do uh, is to recognize that it's our money. And that's why the California school choice here, our motto is simple. It's our children. It's our money. It's our choice. These kids do not belong to the government. They belong to the parents. And this money does not belong to the government. It belongs to taxpayers. And this idea that somehow the government uh, is, uh, is going to be paying for private school tuition, that's BS. Parents are paying for private school tuition. They pay for it all. And, of course, they pay for the private school tuition of fat, happy bureaucrats who get big government salaries. They never talk about that, now, do they? So the fact is, is that school choice is the way that we empower all parents and move the, an entire generation uh, of Americans out of dependency, both political dependency, psychological dependency, and especially financial and political dependency. We, we have to free our people, and we do that by putting parents in charge, and no matter who they are, even if these parents quite literally don't speak a lick, we've got a lot of that out here. I still have more confidence in those parents from the jungles of Guatemala than I do that your average libs uh, from UCLA out here who are engaged in uh, social engineering. We believe in parents. And so uh, under the EFA, the Educational Freedom uh, uh, uh Act uh, initiative, you know, we make sure that the money follows the students, and and then of course we're also setting a foundation for the uh, for the uh, the future. You guys get around talking to a lot of people uh, in in this uh, state. Could you tell me about your um, 
uh, about the uh, the interactions you get uh, from. Uh, let's start with you here, Walter. Remember other members uh, of your community. Are you now in Washington D.C.? So I am in I'm in Dallas, Texas now. Oh, uh, AFC, okay. Yeah, AFC <laughs> uh, about a year ago moved their headquarters from D.C. to uh, Dallas, Texas. That was a good move. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. So uh, what do you hear about school choice down there? Now, your Texas schools aren't as crazy as other schools, but I'm sure there's still plenty of crazy stuff going on down there. What, what's the uh, the atmosphere uh, in your community for school choice? Yeah. So you would, you would think that Texas would have a big, massive, you know, robust school choice program. Uh, but unfortunately, they do not. Um, yeah. In some of the conversations that I've had with um people is it's just that school choice just it doesn't the bridge has not connected for them yet right they 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 may have either gone to a private school themselves or went to a high performing public school they're like oh well i went to this public school and you know i turned out i turned out fine you know i'm in in the government i'm in politics but uh the reality of it is is that there are many students who are in low income communities who are minority who are stuck in failing schools across yeah. across the board and even if they're not the school may not just be a good fit for them they may want to take a different language or take an yeah. accelerated course and their public school does not allow that and so or provide that for them and so texas has been a little bit of a puzzle to figure out okay how do we make this make sense to people who've come from you know to be honest affluent communities yeah and that yeah. just because they had a good experience does not equate that same experience to every single person who's living in that state. And so, um, but there are a lot of, 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 of young people who are, who are running for office in Texas and they're excited and they're fired up, um, especially specifically about school choice. And so um, I, I do expect to see um, school choice across, across the country become mm-hmm. a, a, not only a winning issue, but a front and center issue where, um, like we saw in Virginia, right? You very me- you very well may lose or win an election based off of where you stand on school choice. Yeah, love it. Same question to you, Nathaniel. I am also located in Dallas, Texas now. So I'll second everything Walter just said and add a little bit about what we've experienced just through our travels throughout the country. Um, And that is that every time we encounter somebody who enters into a conversation about school choice um, without without any prior uh, conception of the issue, every time they we leave that conversation with them, having recognized that, wow, this this makes a lot of sense. Providing parents and families with agency over their child's education, it just makes sense. Um, And I think you touched on a, a really great point a little earlier is people are starting to realize that the education system, the reason why uh, the special interest groups that dominate our current education system are so uh, against school choice is because it threatens the the monopoly that allows them to capitalize on the per-pupil funding that's related to every child. That's right. Um, So really what school choice is about is it's taking away the power from the system and empowering uh, the students and the families with the agency to access education so that they can they can go on to live fruitful and and uh, and successful lives just like Walter and I were able to. That's right. How many minutes do we have here, Mr. Producer? 
We got about two minutes. Uh, let, let me uh, try to wrap up just uh, by making a, a couple of uh, small points here. Uh, uh, there was a time in America. Uh, I'm Catholic, grew up Catholic, and uh, uh, my parents exercised school choice the old-fashioned way. They wrote a check. There was a sense in America back in the 40s and 50s, and really going back to the early 20s, that uh, that the public schools were a place where we could teach and communicate a common message about what it meant to be American. There was a, uh, a certain... Um, uh, average flavor or understanding of what our culture was, patriotism, so forth and so on. So there were a lot of people that felt that, look, well, if Catholics or some groups want to educate their own children, well, that's on them. We're, we're providing a pretty good uniform cultural and educational experience for um, for the average student in, in, in America. But now that message has changed. That place called the public school now is now a place that is communicating a radically different, uh, socially left, politically left message that no longer describes us as uh, as Americans, doesn't describe us as a group. And so now the real question for me, uh, and I put this uh, to the uh, to my opponents all the time, not is what is the argument for school choice. My question is the more the more profound question that we have to ask is what in the world is the argument in this day and age for mandatory compulsory one-size-fits-all government school in which we learn everything from a government agent from morning, noon, to night. What is the argument for that? Answer, it doesn't exist. And we've got two guys here, two wonderful young guys who are leaders in the school choice movement here in uh, the United States. We've been speaking with Walter Blanks, Jr., Press Secretary for American Federation of Children, himself a beneficiary of school choice programs in the past, and uh, his uh, wingman here, Nathaniel Kaneen communications associate there at the AFC as well, and a former leader, uh, Future Leaders Fellowship cohort. That's a mouthful. But in any event, these two sharp gun young guys are leading the battle for the uh, for school choice in Texas and in America and so forth. And I want to thank both of you guys for coming on. Uh, Walter and Nathaniel, if uh, anybody in our audience would like to communicate with either one of you, how would they do that? Walter? Yeah, so uh, you can check out our website, uh, federationforchildren.org. Um, and then we, Nathan and I started this school initiative called the School Choice Boys, and it's boys with a Z. And so um, you could check us out on all social media, um, or you could reach out, DM us through social media as well. We'd be more than happy to, to answer any questions or to make an appearance anywhere or ultimately just be a resource for you. We've been speaking with Walter Blanks Jr. and Nathan Kaneen from the American Federation of Children. And, um, you know, these are two wonderful guys. Be sure to drop them a note. But if we come back in just a few moments, we will have... Uh, uh, episode uh, six, Government Grifter of the Week with uh, Juan Tierra. Back in just a few. 
Trapped by their zip codes, the poorest children are denied access to a quality education that will enable them to break the cycle of poverty and take their rightful place in our society. This is real systemic racism. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, president of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents, not zip codes, will decide where their children go to school. Parents wanting to leave the disastrous public school system will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 per child to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. That's CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Back with you, Mike Alexander, your host here on episode six of The Voice of Choice, sponsored here by Californians for School Choice and uh, the uh, California School Choice Foundation. It's a thrill to be with you here again this week. We had a wonderful uh, half hour that we spent with these uh, two young guys from um uh, from the American Federation of Children, and it's so appropriate the guys in their late 20s and early 30s are out there talking on behalf of uh, young people and families. After all, they're the ones who uh, who are facing the responsibility here of educating their children. And uh, the amazing thing is, as we all know, uh, you know, you come out of high school, going to college, and, and it only seems to be about 15 minutes, and, and you're married, you got kids on the way. And so all those uh, 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 adult issues are, are there right now, and within a very short period of time, parents find themselves in crisis, and they're trying to deal with the system that they, they just left a few years ago. So, you know, uh, uh, that is why school choice is so important. And, and as you, as everybody knows, who listens to this broadcast each week, it's important to know where the money goes. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, we've, we've got our, our old good buddy here, Juan Tierra, uh, that is his nom de podcast here, uh, broadcasting, uh, from a bunker and bunker deep in, uh, the, the Hollywood Hills or, uh, what, whatever uh, protected enclave you're operating from here, and uh, not and quite that dangerous, Mike. It's uh, Mount, Washington, <laughs> Mount Washington, actually. Hey, all right, great. Almost as uh, leftist, though. Yeah, yeah. One of our oldest uh, communities in, in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, now, Angel Heights is right near there, isn't it? That's over that way. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so uh, it's you know, w- wonderful neighborhood. What do you have today for us, uh, uh, Juan? Well, today we're going to look at the diversity uh, movement. Yeah. Now, in our two prior podcasts, we looked at higher education's assault on some of the traditional American values. Individuality is being attacked by ethnic and gender studies. Capitalism, the new green, green deal, the green new deal. Today, we'll look at the cost and the divisive effects of the diversity movements. Uh, today's sources, I always list them, Twitter, American Newswire, UCLA EDU, CSUN EDU, 
Heather McDonald in the City Journal, Breitbart and TransparentCalifornia.com. I got to give them a donation because they're using it so much. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Let's start with a statement from all people, not one of your favorite people, James Carville. <laughs> well, yeah, he's yeah, he's a former Marine, so he's not all bad, yeah. and, and, and he he at least is entertaining. Uh, he can be he can be entertaining. In fact, he is. Yeah. Uh, he'll be entertaining very shortly. Yeah, he's a well-known Democrat Party operative, but he's a liberal, not a leftist. Big distinction there. He's an old-line liberal. Not only he's like a old Brooklyn red like Bernie Sanders. He's not the quack dad lefties. He's on an HBO show, and he he. Pulled a, a quote from an author named Eric Hoffer back in the 60s and 70s. Sure. Special philosophy, you may, you may have heard of him, some people. Sure. Anyway, Long Sherman, never, never went to college. Very mm-hmm. intelligent guy. Anyway. The True Believer. That, that, that's his most famous book. There's another yeah. one called Time and Ten. Anyway, mm-hmm. this is quote, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. <laughs> Carvel, adding on to that, says, Part of this diversity training stuff, I'm sure, that's at the racket stage. And that's yeah. what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to list three diversity officers from academia who could be described as diversity racketeers. These administrators use reverse discrimination to atone for alleged historical wrongs. And I'll list their salaries and benefits from uh, 2020 later, later on. First up, CSUN, Cal State Northridge. Natalie Mason Kenzie, hyphenate. Of course. Bachelor's in uh, ethnic studies. No, no surprise there. Here's a question, mission statement. Here's a quote. Race is important because that's what people see. Nobody is one thing. We're a multitude of things. So remember this one? Intersectionality. <laughs> there you go. How we talk, how we think, how we is important to me on the diversity front. So look at this. Skin color, the most superficial feature of any person, is important as well. Intersectionality, which is that tool that, that uh, you know, it tells you who are your oppressor. Your oppressor. Are you taking the test yet, Mike? Mm-hmm. Are you taking the test yet? The intersectionality. Oh, no, I, I, I didn't. I mean, I, my oppressor index has got to be off the charts. If, I, if I'm anything but 100%. Oppressor. No, no, no. You want, you want, no, you want low number, lower. The lower you are, you're an oppressor. The higher oh, okay. you're oppressed. Oh. I got a nine. I sent it to my friend. He got an eight. He beat me by a point. <laughs> so, so, uh, so anyway. Now this, uh, I did look at, I wondered about this diversity. So I looked at the breakdown of the pop, student population at CSUN, Cal State University. Yeah. Norwich. It's 48.8% Hispanic or Latino. About 20% white. 10% Asian, 5% Black, and then some other national groups in there, okay? Right. So at 50% Hispanic, how is that diverse? I don't get that. Anyway, Howard, it pays very well. Her regular pay, $169,000. Other pay, only 90. It's a piker in that respect. Benefits, 70 grand. Total, $238,000. Okay, that's M- Mason hyphen Kinsey, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, yes. good. Yeah. That hyphen in her name, that looks like it's worth about another hundred grand a year. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Moving up north to my old alma mater, one of my alma maters, UC Berkeley. Now, the leftists have a new acronym. They, they add letters on acronyms. We'll get to a new one here, like LBTQWXYZ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have Dania Matos, Vice Chancellor of DEIBJ. Now, oh, 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 that's now. 
All right. D-E-I-B-J. Okay. Now, you've all heard of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. But she's added, and Berkeley has added, belonging and justice. No idea what that means. Oh, that's special. That's her title. Vice Chancellor of DEIBJ at Cal Berkeley. Mission statement. Mission statement. Honoring those ideals, which I just listed, is Mm -hmm. about perpetuating beauty in the center of injustice. Now, yeah. is Berkeley the Belonging center of injustice? justice? Well, that's good. But, but is Berkeley the center of injustice? I guess it means the whole country. Okay, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. To do that, we must confront the enduring legacy of slavery. Hell yes. And the structural inequities that the nation was founded on. Right. With actionable solutions that lead to transformative change. Yeah. So that, that's, that's our mission statement. Okay. And, and, and I mean, she sees I, her job as battling injustice, yeah. systemic oppression, racism, sexism, fill in the blank. And quote, she spends her time meeting and holding listening sessions with faculty, students, and staff. And, but this takes an emotional toll, Mike, uh-huh. on her. Now, for that, right. she's very well compensated. Here's her, here's her, uh, her, her salary. A cool quarter mil, $250,000. Yeah. Other pay very but only a thousand benefits, twenty-five. Yeah, two two seventy-seven. Wow, wow. Well, she's suffering admirably there. Well, that takes uh, an emotional toll. To yeah. racism takes an emotional toll. Yeah. Well, you, you know, it seems to me, Kevin, here that we we need to get one of these people on here, uh, you know, to square us away on school choice. What do you think the chances are that she supports school choice? Less than, less than zero. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Next. Next. Number so three. Last nominee. All right. That was two. Right. Here's number three. Yeah. MC Sun. We've done Cal Berkeley. UCLA. Law professor Jerry Kong. It's spelled Kang, but it's Korean. Long story. as to work with a guy. Right. Guys. It's K-A-N-G. It's pronounced Kong. He's also the vice chancellor of equity and inclusion. E&I. Oh. He's got his own little niche. He's a major proponent of impl- the implicit bias concept. Mm-hmm. Which holds that even though it doesn't appear to be biased, for example, in student admissions or hiring policies, right. a right. crack trained administrator like him can spot yeah. it and take corrective action. On crack. During, his, yeah. during his tenure, UCLA instituted a new requirement for faculty members engaged in hiring practices. Right. It is bias awareness training. So, so you've got to be trained to be rehired. These experts uh, exert pressure. For diversity, obviously. Now, only a naive person would think that the mandate to increase diversity would not inevitably lead to tip the scales in to, to toward alleged victim groups. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, the engineering department at UCLA, when he took over, they found that there were too many Caucasian and Asian males. Oh, well, there's a surprise. Well, now, wait. Now, no, but, 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 but Jerry, he knew... That was because of implicit, not explicit bias. Right. From, from a merit-based standpoint, it looked fine. But he knew there was a problem. Mm-hmm. And there were not enough women and underrepresented minorities. Yeah. And that, that situation had to be addressed, and he did. So there right. you go. Well, that, you know, that's amazing. Well, you know, and these then, guys, have, of course, have uh, special DNA. 
uh, special sensory systems. Uh, they're able to sniff this stuff out. Absolutely. You know, they, 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 they make dogs look like second raters when it comes to their ability to identify this implicit bias. Now implicit. I noticed that, uh, Kong, you say that he's, uh, um, yeah, uh, he's Korean. So, I mean, we, we we got some Asian stuff going on in there. Sure. I, I I thought that uh, that Asians were the uh, the new bias group too. These poor poor people. So where does old old, old Professor Kong fit in on other members? Uh, uh, white Asian males. Uh, do they get included in well, this? He's, uh, maybe he's, he feels guilty and wants to get back at them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, may, maybe some uh, yeah uh, uh, guilt of some sort because. You yeah. Here is pay. His yeah. Pay is through the roof. Regular pay, $350,000. Wow. Other pay, $147,000. Other go that. 147. Wow. Well, now, maybe the third time I can do other pay, which I've done before, but yeah. some it's car allowances, uh, stipends meeting, but longevity pay, invented pay, bonus pay, and, 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 and of course, uh, incentive pay. Yeah. But one year he pulled out another 2020, another $170,000. Wow. Total benefits, 70 grand total, over half a million, $570,000. Amazing. And, and, and that's, that's with 10 year long term uh, uh, job security, obviously, at, at UCLA. And, uh, and we're not talking about a guy that actually has an eight hour a day teaching load. So when, when you, you translate that into somebody you'd actually have to put in a 40 or 60 hour work week, uh, at, at, uh, at, at a law firm, uh, you know, then, uh, you're, you're, you're talking about one hell of a lot of money. There is probably the same as a million a year in the private sector. Okay. And is any, any, uh, caught, uh, what do you think ones, Mike? <laughs> well, you, you, you know, I, I, Professor I implicit bias. Yeah, you, you know, uh, it's always kind of easy to go with the big number, but when you when you come up with this, add this additional level of uh, complication. You know, just like um, like the Olympics, right? It's on a scale of ten, but you you have a a, deg a degree of complexity. And so when this guy not only you know, comes up with $570,000, but does it literally with magic, his ability to see and identify and sell uh, to the uh, uh, to the faculty uh, 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 committees uh, something that only he can see. Well, that's an extraordinary act of, I mean, that takes one hell of a grifter. Sure does. And, and yeah, I, you know, you look, got look, look, I, a couple more facts. You add these salaries up, those three people, to yeah. a million dollars, to a million yeah. eighty-five thousand dollars. Yeah. Ber Berkeley's diversity and equity division has a twenty-five million dollar budget and four hundred employees. Right. And, and the question is, uh, ultimately, especially when you spend as much time as we do in the school choice movement, talking to not just the families. But we're talking to average, ordinary Californians who work, pay their taxes, uh, keep their noses clean, and so forth. And you have to ask yourself, what in the world 
does this so-called education establishment, whether it's 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 our, our our great universities, the law schools, the professional schools, or this vast hundred and twenty billion dollar a year uh, enterprise called K twelve. What does it really add to our society? And the answer is very damn little, but it adds enormously uh, to the bottom line and the financial security of those who benefit from its operation. And so the uh, the uh, the question you always ask in any area, cui bono, to whose benefit, who gets paid, and in this all we have to do is to follow the money, and there you have you know the rationale uh, for our government grifter of the week award. So now, without further ado, we're going to have a drum roll here. And the winner, the government grifter of week of the award is. Professor Implicit Bias, Jerry Kong. There you go. K-A-N-G. Send him a love letter. All these guys are out here dreaming up all this stuff, and nobody's asking for it. Right? When you go in, right, when you uh, talk to your neighbors or uh, talk to the people that work with you or for you at your business, nobody is asking about this stuff. It's not what it drives husband, wives, or anybody else. Uh, what they're looking for is basic opportunity, and that begins with access uh, to quality education. And you know, old buddy there, uh, uh, James Carville, uh, you know, it is really uh, uh, a, a great uh, a, a great quote here. Uh, why don't you uh, read that for us here? Part of this diversity. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it, back to that quote. Part of this diversity training stuff, I'm sure, has hit the racket stage. And this diversity racket, in reality, it's a very expensive form of backdoor affirmative action. Yes, and uh, and you know when you uh, when you look at uh, everything that we have going now for the umpteenth time, we have, I believe, Harvard. And oh, one yeah. other, uh, one other Ivy League school, and of course, there's tons of them all around the country, who continue uh, to uh, implement a system of racial preferences that systematically discriminate uh, against Asians, particularly Asian males, and I think probably also discriminate against uh, Jews as well. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how, but, but that case is back up in front of the Supreme Court. So here we have elite institutions that uh, derive money uh, from uh, a broad part of America and, and yet are engaged in, in race-based systems. You know, we're going backwards in the United States. And when I'm out talking to people in the neighborhoods about school choice and, and other issues. There's tremendous concern among Black and Latino par uh, parents that our school system is trying to foment uh, uh, racial animus and hatred among uh, young children who barely are aware of what color they are. And after all of our efforts at home and in school and in our culture, uh, to make our kids aware only of the fact that they're Americans and that uh, they're uh, 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 sons and daughters of God, uh, 
and so forth. Now we have a whole system cranking it up and trying to draw attention to a young person's race. The very opposite of what we've been trying to do for those of us who go back uh, to the 60s and have uh, participated at all of, of the last uh, 60 years of, of the second phase of the civil rights movement, uh, we're back. You know, we're back to where we started from, and the and increasingly, when we talk with black parents, they want out, and they realize now that they should have spent more time assisting on access to quality education through voucher type programs, school choice, rather than trying to. Uh, forcibly integrate uh, schools. Now, uh, uh, don't anybody get me wrong. I'm just saying not that integrate uh, uh, segregated schools are okay. They're sure as hell not okay. There's no question about it. But taking that approach was not effective because no matter what they did, the same people remained in charge of these systems and the people who refused to give you access to uh, equal access to quality education before stubbornly refused to give it to you later, despite thousands of lawsuits and court orders. And so now 60 years later, the black community is in the same situation or worse when it comes to education and so forth. Now we, all of us, black, white, pink, purple, yellow, brown, Everything in between, you know, we're here to make good on that promise that America makes to each and every student that you have access to quality education. Because if we don't all have a chance, then none of us has, has a shot. So, Juan Tierra, any closing words for us here before we wrap up this week's episode of The Voice of Choice? Well, i just point out that what's interesting, if you take a philosophical look at this, when the elites academic institutions foment this kind of racial division, how long can society have its elites destroy the stuff that's given them a good living, big bucks, cushy jobs, and yet they trash it? How, how long can that go on? No, it, it, it can't. It's unsustainable. And uh, it and, has and already, in fact, become unsustained. You know, we've seen it. Uh, that's what's happening at, at uh, you know, your, your remarks. I recall uh, a, a recent critique, and I'm sure you've read it. I forget exactly who articulated it. But uh, the new American revolution that we're seeing right now is unprecedented in that it is not a revolution that is coming up from below. Uh, it's not coming from the social pressure of people who lack opportunity. The attack on our system is coming from the top it's from our political, cultural, and economic elite who are attacking a system uh, that, that has made their own affluence, an incredible amount of affluence possible. And the people at the bottom are eager to preserve this system, but try to get it to work right. And so they find themselves at, uh, at loggerheads uh, with, uh, you know, with the elites of, of our own society and the people should be leading. And instead, we're getting lectures from all these lowlifes. Uh, it's amazing. You know? uh, so this is why um, 
uh, you know, uh, why, why William F. Buckley and others or Moynihan, I forget who it is, who's, uh, um, uh, it's attributed to, but they always said that they would rather be governed by the first 500 names of the Manhattan phone book than the Harvard faculty. Buckley. Yeah. That was Buckley. It was Buckley. Okay, good. So, so there we are. I thank you again, Wantier, uh, for another uh, great My contribution pleasure. this week. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining the Voice of Choice. Please do not forget to get out there and gather these signatures. You know, we need uh, a million signatures uh, here, guaranteed uh, by the end of March. We're going to need your help of you and everybody else. Go to our website, log in there, let us know who you are, download the petition, give us some love, give us five, 10, 20, 50, hundred bucks. Let us know that you're out there and anybody who wants to uh, correspond with me can reach me at Mike at California org. So once again, thank you for joining us uh, for episode six of the voice of choice. And don't forget our motto. Remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. This is Mike Alexander. We'll see you next week, same time, same station. Voice of Choice podcast ad paid for by Californians for School Choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom.